Hello and welcome back to Insemination. My name is Laura High. I am your chaotic sperm donor demon baby of the podcast world. And today's episode is all about the Donor Conceived Persons Protection Act, a bill that would require banks and clinics in New York State to verify a medical history that a donor hands in. Right now, this bill is going through a series of committees, and Insemination is incredibly lucky to have both Senator Gallivan of New York State, the Senate sponsor of this bill, and Assemblywoman Paul Lynn, the Assembly sponsor of this bill. Both have been gracious enough to come on our podcast and give you a breakdown of how this bill works, why they believe it is important, and how you can help get this bill passed. Now, many of you might be hearing the noises of sawing trees in the background and thinking, hey, that noise isn't good for podcasts, but I just want to let you all know, we actually bought those sounds specifically for you as to signify how we are chopping down the unethical behavior of the infertility industry. It has been a long morning, so bear with us. The sounds are only in the introduction. They're not in the actual episode. Now, before we go into the interviews, I do need to give you all a little bit of context to where this bill came from. This bill was inspired by the absolute horrific story of the Gunners. The Gunners had a donor-conceived son named Stephen. And at age four, Stephen started showing signs that he might be struggling with mental illness. And his parents immediately started calling therapists, child psychologists, to figure out how they could best help Stephen. Stephen Gunner, throughout his entire childhood and young adult life, was seeing therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists in and out of institutions. All these medical professionals kept asking his parents, what is his medical history? And they told him that on, you know, his maternal side, which he was genetically connected to, that there was nothing, just some anxiety. And on the medical history that the cryobank provided about the donor showed absolutely no sign of mental illness. Stephen Gunner in his early 20s was diagnosed with schizophrenia and passed away from ODing when he was 27 years old. And after this incredibly horrific event, Laura Gunner, his mom, decided that she needed to find all of Stephen's donor-conceived siblings to make sure that they all were aware in case they were struggling in the same way. And in her search to find all the siblings, she found Stephen's donor's mother. Unfortunately, what Laura learned was that Stephen's donor, his biological father, passed away a few years before Stephen from ODing on drugs and was also diagnosed with schizophrenia in his early 20s. And after being in contact with the donor's mother, who is Stephen's grandmother, learned that the donor had an exact duplicate of Stephen's childhood life. Stephen's donor was already showing signs, just like Stephen, of mental illness starting at the age of four years old, was immediately seeing therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, was institutionalized at the age of 14 years old for threatening his father with a baseball bat, boarding himself up in an attic which was over 200 degrees, putting himself in serious critical danger, and when the firemen came to come rescue him, he actively fought them off. His donor actively lied about his entire medical history, about any of the prescriptions he's been on, any of his doctors, all of it. This information would have been easy to get and easy to find if the clinics and cryobanks were forced to verify a medical history of a donor. If Stephen and his parents had that information, that could have directly altered Stephen's life and trajectory. His parents showed their willingness to help and support their son in any way they possibly could. And having that actual medical information could have completely stopped the diagnostic hell that Stephen was going through. He could have gotten the support needs and care that he absolutely deserved. 
So after finding this out, the Gunners contacted multiple politicians in New York State, which is the state that they live in. And Senator Gallivan was the very first one to get back to them. Senator Gallivan invited them into their office and they pleaded their case and talked about this bill in which they desperately believed needed to get passed. That day in his office, Senator Gallivan pledged his support to the Gunners. And when Senator Gallivan asked the Gunners, who out of the assembly would you like to sponsor it for the assembly? Laura Gunner's immediate response was Assemblywoman Pollen. But to me, as a donor-conceived person, Laura Gunner became a mom to all donor-conceived people. Despite the fact that her and her husband went through this absolutely horrific event, she decided that she needs to stand up for all children, all young adults who are part of her late son's community. I have had the absolute honor and privilege of becoming friends with Laura. She is genuinely a gem among this world. So I ask you to please listen to both of these incredibly important interviews so you can become educated and learn how to support this bill. So without any further ado, I am so excited for you to listen to both of these interviews. The first interview is with the senator and the second interview is with the assemblywoman. Please make sure that you listen to both interviews. They give different information and two different perspectives on this bill. Let's get to the episode. Well, Senator, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing very well. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the time you're giving us, especially as a donor-conceived person. I really appreciate this time. Uh, now, Senator, let's hop right to it. You are the sponsor of the Donor Conceived Persons Protection Act in New York. Would you mind quickly summarizing this bill in your own words? Sure. It's, it's, it's very simple. Um, it's amazing to me, and I know we'll, we'll probably get into this in a little bit, that this is an industry that is really not regulated pretty much anywhere anywhere in the country. Yeah. But, but what this bill does is, is essentially in New York, if if a donor bank is going to do business in New York State, they'll have to follow a certain set of rules. And the rules really are simple. Um, it has to do with awareness, getting med relevant medical history about, about things that might be hereditary from a donor, mm -hmm. a history of any, any uh, drugs or medication that they might be on, and as it relates to the history, the donor has to then provide the medical professionals that he or she has seen over the past five years so that the donor bank can verify this information. They'd be required to verify the information instead of just relying on the donor honor system. Mm -hmm. That's the first part of it. The second part of it is records access so that once the individual, the donor conceived person is 18 years old, or prior uh, with parental consent, they can access those medical records, um, which we know now that so many medical conditions are hereditary and ultimately requiring the donor banks to keep those records for a minimum of 25 years. So it, it's really in simple terms, it's verifying relevant medical history mm -hmm. and providing access to information. Well, as a donor-conceived person from New York who was told that all of my records went up in a fire, so I have zero form of a medical history, that would um, have literally been a godsend to me as somebody who is also struggling with their health from what it seems to be hereditary conditions from my donor. So that's absolutely amazing. 
Uh, and Senator uh, Laura Gunner approached multiple legislatures about this bill, but you were the very first one to get back to her. And she is a member of your district, but she felt that you genuinely wanted to help her. That was something that she kept repeating to me. And she said that you immediately pledged your support to this bill. So I must ask, so I must ask what about her story and this bill spoke to you so much? My God, of course I want to help her. Um, when you when you hear the story of the gunners that many people in our community are aware of, the fact that uh, they had a, a 27-year-old son who struggled for many, many years, diagnosed with schizophrenia, which is thought to be genetic, and, and drug abuse problems. Um, they di he died of an accidental overdose at 27 years old and really lived a lifetime of pain. And so when the gunners shared their story with me, it... it rips your heart out and come yeah. to find out what they learned after the fact that this particular donor um, had, had donated the sperm on many occasions and many donor conceived persons throughout the country that were this donor's offspring, so to speak, suffered some of the same, the same problems that the gunner's son Stephen did. And you think, how can this be in this day and age? Uh, so we look back in history and we find out, well, not we, the gunners uh, yeah. did their work and they look back in history and they found out that the donor had the same problems. Schizophrenia uh, was the, the predilection to uh, addiction to drugs, yes. problems over the years and had a very difficult life. And then you go back to the medical records and the individual just simply lied essentially saying, I'm good. I've got no history of physical problems, mental health problems, no drugs. I haven't done this or haven't done that. And you think of it in this day and age, how can that be? And we're talking about a human life coming into existence with no set of rules around it. And the gunners in this particular case, but many parents across the country, they're relying on the clinic that they went to to provide accurate information and come to find out it's it's a in this case it was a pack of lies, and the donor clinic took their money, and yes they have they ultimately had a son that they loved, and you think of not so much the gunners and the pain that they went through because they they love their son you know, like this wonderful boy growing up, but think of what young Stephen lived with growing up and the and problems he didn't... that individual had. And he didn't have to. I mean, if they had had that information, because Laura said that um, uh, that he was showing signs at the age of four, very identically to his donor, he could have had that information and gotten the treatment and the help and the support immediately. And the fact that he was denied that is just, in in my opinion, I mean, I, I'm certainly not in politics whatsoever, uh, but it's just, it feels very criminal to me that he was denied that literal life-saving, life-changing, life-altering information that should have been his right. Especially well, in the fact- Yes, but no, you, you make an excellent point. So some people have, have raised an issue that, well, well then uh, people won't wanna go and donate whether it's a sperm or an egg, or, or parents, they're not going to avail themselves of these services. And that's not necessarily true. That is but not true. But they yeah. will get information, and they'll have information that's available. And 
then they could start the appropriate treatment as you brought up. Or in the case, my wife has that, that particular gene that makes somebody more susceptible to various types of cancer, breast cancer, ovarian. Oh, the BRCA gene? Yes. So fortunately for her, um, she came through her her cancer in great shape. But now oh, that fantastic. We know, but, Congratulations But now that we know her. that, our children yes. can be, our adult children can be tested first. Yeah. And then when they have children, and I just recently became a grandfather. Congratulations. Uh, my son can be tested and his son can be tested. And so then you're armed with information so that you can get early treatment if necessary. And with that, the bill from is not about denying clinics and cryobanks um, donors. It isn't about, there's nothing in the bill that says like, you can't use this donor. Um, this person isn't allowed to donate. This bill is all about informed consent. And I just want to confirm, there's nothing in the bill about turning away donors. Absolutely not. This is all about information. Getting accurate health-related information as it relates to hereditary conditions or diseases. Yes. Ensuring that these cryobanks or clinics verify this information, and then ultimately making the information available to the donor conceived person or parents so that they can, the whole purpose is so that they can get appropriate treatments and not live a life of pain like Stephen did. And not just physical pain, but the mental anguish that went along with it. Oh my God, yes. And and just to confirm, this isn't just about mental health. This is about physical health. So in terms of yes. like heart disease, cancers, um, epilepsy, literally anything that exactly. can be hereditary. Any, any, con any condition that could be hereditary. Okay. Well, then yeah, let's that's get- what, That's what this has to do with. Well, then let's get into really like how the bill is going to function because I get a lot of people asking me questions like, how is this actually going to work? How is a clinic and a, and a cryobank going to actually verify a medical history? What is that process going to be like? So be, because we're a state, we cannot regulate this federally, but any cryobank clinic that wants to do business in New York state or is located in New York state. So they have to follow a set of rules this set of rules if they're going to be in New York State. It's very simple. Um, the Department of Health will put together a standardized form that the donor will have to fill out with the relevant information. Mm -hmm. The donor would also have to ensure that they provide any medical professionals that they've seen in the last five years. That information has to be provided. And the donor has to sign a HIPAA release to allow the clinic or the cryobank to reach out to those medical professionals to verify the information. And it really is that simple. Then though, all of these records that are there, um, if, if the information is verified, the records must be kept by that clinic or cryobank for 25 years. That's simple. And at a, at a subsequent point in time, if the parents uh, or if the donor conceived person once they reach 18 years old and they want access information or with parental consent prior to 18, if they reach out to the, to the clinic or cryobank for the information, that information must be provided mm -hmm. and they have the ability to go back to the donor to update the information if the parents or the donor conceived person is asking them to. Now, I just wanna confirm, because again, this is another question I get all the time. This bill does not cover getting updates. 
from the donor. This is just about getting their medical history from the point of donation. This does not um, this does not gather updated medical history like 10 years after they donated. Uh, in part, it does. If once the donor conceived person uh, reaches 18, mm -hmm. or if they're under 18 with parental consent, they ask for updated information. It does not auto automatically kick in, but they can ask for updated medical information and the clinic or cryobank would re be required to reach out to the donor to provide that information. Oh, oh, that's huge. I mean, that's genuinely, because we all know that like donors are typically very young, you know, very healthy. And the fact that we can get potentially updated medical information with this bill, that's huge. I mean, that is a yeah, genuine- so, so, so it is in there and it, it's, okay. in my belief is, is a right to know. Yeah. And it essentially mirrors what's available uh, with the state's adoption laws. But of course we know that there's challenges, right? 20 some, 18 years later, 22 years yeah. later, whatever it might be. Um, we, we know that it might be problematic to ensure that the yeah. clinic or cryobank is still in existence. They then have to try to track down the donor. Okay. This proposed legislation does not contemplate the difficulties that might be encountered 18 or 20 years down the road. However, it does of course. provide for it in there. But like any legislation, um, anything that comes forward, I suspect that this bill is not perfect. Uh, if we're successful in getting it passed, no doubt some things will come up that we probably didn't contemplate as much as we've tried to. Of course. And then very simply revisit this bill and make the try to make the necessary adjustments. And that's that's common in many pieces of significant legislation. And I and I want to just confirm one thing. I want to clarify because you've said that any clinic or cryobank that wants to do business in New York has to abide by this rule. So let's say a New York citizen wants to buy sperm from either I'm going to like a cryobio in Ohio or the Seattle Sperm Bank or or the Fairfax Cryobank in Virginia. If those banks wanted to sell sperm to a citizen in New York State, they have to abide by this rule. They have to abide by this law. It depends. Okay. If the citizen from New York State travels to Ohio and the entire, uh, I, I guess, I, this sounds terrible when we're dealing with the human life, but the entire transaction, if you will, mm -hmm. takes place in Ohio, even though it's a New York resident, we cannot regulate that. But okay. if they are in New York and that Ohio clinic sells it to the person while they're in New York, and then it comes to New York and the procedure is done in New York, that's the doing business in New York. So if like hypothetically they, they're shipping. They have, to follow the, they have to follow the rules if any part of this takes place in New York, the donation or oh, the reset. So if they're if they're shipping, let's say the sperm, because uh, you know, they 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 ship frozen sperm now pretty regularly. So if like hypothetically a recipient parent in New York State wanted to order sperm from Fairfax Cryobank, um, and Fairfax shipped the sperm into New York State. Would that then cover that citizen? And then the and then the procedure would be done in New York State. Yes, in your sir. Hypothetical? Yeah. Yes. Okay. This law, That's... this law would cover this law would cover that situation. So okay. the, the easiest way to think of it 
is if any part of this uh, from beginning to end takes place in New York, it's it's regulated by this like by the, this legislation. Okay. That is very good information for all of our New York residents because there's so much of the infertility industry that does exist in New York State. So that is very, very helpful to all of my recipient parents who I know listen. So um, the opposite the opposite would be true if if the, the donation is made to a prior bank in New York State oh. and that is shipped to say Ohio. Everything okay. related to the donor that takes place in New York State must follow these rules. Okay, recipient parents, that's a really good tip in terms of verifying medical history. And yes. we all, okay, that's really so any, good to So know. again, the easiest way to think about it, Okay. if, if anybody in this industry, so we'll, so we'll just say the, the cryobank, the clinic, if any, any part of this from beginning mm -hmm. to end takes place in New York State, whether it's the donation or the receipt or the procedure, this law applies. Okay. But if for anybody who's a New York resident, if they choose to go outside the state, New York state can't regulate their actions outside the state. Of course. Okay. So would not apply. Thank you. That's very, very helpful information too. I know the recipient parents who listen to this podcast, that's very helpful information. So I appreciate that. Why do you think this bill is receiving so much bipartisan support? It's interesting that it is, and it's very appropriate that it is. The story of the gunners could be, uh, it's countless stories, right? Thousands of stories, potentially thousands of stories across the country. Yeah. Uh, and, and the best, I think the best part of politics and the best part of our system is in, at display here. There is no politics involved. This is going on, and most people are having the same reaction that I did, a twofold reaction. First, heartfelt for the gunners and others similarly situated. And second, how can this be? How can it not be regulated? So fortunately, we have not seen political headlines where the right and the left have gone at each other over this issue. And it's a I think it's a fresh issue, so to speak, so it hasn't fallen victim to the politics of it, but it's a human issue. And I'm I'm very grateful for the reaction of my colleagues when I tell them the story that, again, it's the same reaction. Oh, my gosh, the poor family. And how can this be? Um, and so uh, we have we have uh, many legislators, uh, a number of them have co-sponsored it. Uh, because every legislator hasn't co-sponsored this, well, does, Senator, not, does, not, does not mean that it's uh, that they won't support it. But we absolutely. have multiple co-sponsors from both parties and both houses, and I, I, I feel uh, pretty confident we can move this forward. Well, you have four co-sponsors in the Senate and three in the Assembly. I mean, is that normal for a bill? Because that seems like a lot. Our process is uh, our, our processes in New York is that legislation in order to become law has to pass both the Senate mm -hmm. and the assembly. And that's done independent of each other. Even though I work with members of the assembly, members of the assembly work with, with members of the Senate. Um, so the good thing that we have, have going is that it, it is bipartisan. We have both 
majority and minority members on the bills going forward. And what's interesting in the Senate, as I look at this, and even when you couple it with the assembly, we have we have members that are co-sponsoring this from Western New York, from Central New York, from the Capital Region, from the New York City area, and from Long Island, from a, across the state of all flavors, shapes, and persuasion. So it, it makes me feel good in the sense of, of being confident that this has support and will continue to gain support of other legislators as we move through the session and hopefully move this bill. Well, and Senator, I, the most important question I have to ask you is if I have somebody listening to this and realize, and thinking, I want to help support, what can they do? What can they do to ensure that this bill is passed? I think it's important that individual legislators hear from their constituents. And I, and I think anybody who wants to support this should be reaching out. Well, they can help by reaching out to their individual legislator. They don't need to reach out to me. I'm the co-sponsor. I support this. We're working at it. We want to get other people on board standing up and saying, this is terrible. How can it be? We need to do something. And so in, in the state, it's reaching out to your member of the assembly, reaching out to the, your member of the Senate, and nothing works as well as that member's own constituents reaching out to them, asking for their support, or asking them to co-sponsor it. And it's easy to find. They mm -hmm. can go uh, to nysenate.gov or nyassembly.gov, punch in their zip code, and that'll help identify who their, their representative is if they don't know, and, provide, and it will also provide all the contact information. It could be done by telephone or email, or old-fashioned snail mail, but not many people do that at all or anymore. I, I have to ask because um, I know I'll, I'll have a lot of people in my comment section asking, but do you do you guys do you all really get the, that information? Does that does hearing that your constituents really want that? Does that really persuade you? Does that affect you? Um, does it really help? From my personal experience, it does because you have somebody sitting in front of you often. In person is by far the best. Uh, but it's it's not convenient for everybody, of course, right? People are very busy in their lives. Of course. But if I, I'll talk about the in person, and if I'm sitting there and I've got a constituent across the uh, across the room from me or in the chair next to me, looking me in the eye and asking for support and saying that you're my representative and you're my voice in Albany, and I'm asking you to speak up about this matter, and the legislator. So first, the good legislator doing their job properly is working hard to properly be their voice in Albany in the Senate or the Assembly. The not so good legislator, the person who might have ulterior motives that is only only cares about their own reelection, their constituents hold their future in their hands. And so either way, honorable or not so honorable, I, I think legislators across the spectrum are motivated to listen more so to their constituents than emails from somebody outside of their district. And would you, how can people who don't live in New York State, um, can they show support as well? Well, they certainly can. They can weigh in and they can do that th the same way, mm -hmm. um, whether it's telephone call, whether it's emails, whether it's letters, whether um, it, it's in, in many cases with pieces of legislation, you have you have interested parties from various trade organizations or various advocacy groups that actually travel to Albany to try to meet with the relevant 
the relevant legislators. So now in this particular case, besides your own individual legislator, the relevant legislators are the members of the respective health committees in both houses. Because it has that's the first step. It has to pass through the health committee yes. before it goes to a vote of the entire body. But ultimately, every legislator has to vote on this. But the first step is getting it through the respective committees. It hasn't happened yet. It is on the next agenda for the health committee in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel I'm very happy with that. And I'm pretty confident we'll be able to move it. But then the next step in the Senate would be getting it to the floor for a vote of the entire body. Well, Senator, thank you so much for your time. I know that you have to go and I wanna respect, respect your time. And I just wanna say thank you again. As a donor conceived person, I, I cannot thank you enough for being a voice for us. And thank you, especially for supporting the Gunners. They needed backup and I'm so grateful that you all were there for them. Yeah, well, th thanks for mentioning that, but I, I think the Gunners really deserve a special mention Oh my God! Yes. Uh, so, They're despite wonderful. their, despite the pain that they went through, um, to be able to have the courage to stand up and do something about this, yeah, to help people in the future is is really admirable. Because you think every time that they're speaking up, they're reliving their experience. Yes. And 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 you know they 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 loved their son. They had so many wonderful moments with them. The fortunate that is the fortunate part. They get to remember the positive, but unfortunately, that they also relive every day that they don't have their son anymore. And the fact that they're willing to stand up and help other people, help to prevent other people from having to go through that is very admirable. And I agree. I'm thrilled that they're my friends and constituents. And I'm very pleased that you're able to spend some time on this and get the information out to people. Absolutely. We're all about the advocacy. Um, and thank you again. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time tremendously. And let's get this passed. All right, Laura. Thank you. Thank you so much. Assemblywoman, thank you so much for joining me. I, I don't mean to be biased, but uh, as, a, um, as somebody who used to live in Westchester, I'm very excited to see a fellow Westchester sister supporting this bill. No, that's all good. Um, I think that uh, Westchester has a lot of good people. It <laughs> so does. We, uh, it does. So, um, so I'm happy to see uh, you helping me uh, try to promote something important. I, I no longer live there, but I, I love to see. And I was I was neighbors with Scarsdale. I grew up in Rye. Ah, okay. So I, I know nice. Scarsdale Beautiful. very well. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get right to it. Um, so, Assemblywoman, this is not your first time standing up for donor-conceived rights and fighting for and fighting for regulations with the infertility industry. Would you mind talking about your history with, like, fertility fraud? Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, unlike the bill that you know prompted you to call me, that bill uh, recognizes that there are some shady people out there. Whether yes. they are shady in that, um, you know. I, I don't know, but I've read about, you know, doctors using their own sperm multiple times. Yes. Uh, and misleading patients. Yeah. And misleading, uh, really, the, the children that are conceived from those, uh, you know, from, from those, from that happening. Um, so it's a fertility fraud bill, which would give the right to sue if something was inappropriate. Right. Uh. Um, 
Thank God. That, I, that we are working on. I mean, it's still not to the point where it's going to reach the floor this year, but hopefully next year. You know, it's a process to get the, the words right and the advocacy behind it right. So I appreciate the opportunity to tell the public, because if there's an outcry, you know, the legislature is needs to hear that, you know, if it's really going to help people. Well, I was in uh, in Washington, D.C. in January supporting the fertility fraud uh, bill federally, H.R. 451. Um, I literally was dressed in a sperm costume in the Raymore building running around interviewing fertility fraud victims. Uh, so this is uh, that that is a bill and a cause that I care very, very much about. Um, and whenever I start kind of, I would say, educating people on the lack of regulations to the infertility industry, fertility fraud is always where I start, because to me, that is that is ground level that we have to start. No, no question. Um, one of the other bills that is on the floor uh, this year uh, is a bill that would improve the storage uh, facilities. Oh, okay. the, um, yeah. So there's um, uh, there's a a new storage facility actually in Manhattan and they are state of the art. And a lot of okay. people came together there to create a state of the art because a lot of sperms, eggs, embryos were, are being stored in all kinds of um, inappropriately guarded environments. And what I mean by that is, yeah. you know, they, they're, they, it could be that your sperm could get mixed up you know, or your egg could get mixed up because it's not stored properly, labeled properly. And you can destroy eggs easily that way. These are very fragile. Um, yes. And and so storage is really critical. So it, it's important to make sure that the temperatures are right, the facility okay. is correct. And that's a bill that, because you, you, you know, even if everybody is well-intended, uh, if you don't yeah. have proper storage, you know, it's, it's, a very expensive, difficult procedure yes. to get eggs oh out God. of a woman's body, right? It's Hormones, incredibly intrusive. Yes. Incredibly intrusive. And so you don't want at the end of the process to find out that your eggs were stored in a place where they weren't going to be usable for you. Like, you know, when you wanted to retrieve them five years later, 10 years later, and you find out that only two of the 10 eggs that you harvested are are uh, possible, and you may maybe you need three IVFs, right? So, so you you so that's that's another bill, and then of course the one that prompted you to call, which you know allows or insists that women uh, uh, and men, you know, both could be either. Um, it's primarily women, you know, have access to health records. Yes, you know, if they're using uh, donors uh, for either the egg or the sperm, right? So. Um, health records are critically important. Knowledge is critically important. Um, storage is critically important. But you're so right in saying that this industry uh, is unregulated. You know, it reminds me of you know any any new industry, right? But this is yeah. one that that touches our lives in such an intimate way. Well, it literally is a it's an industry that profits off of the creation of human beings. And the fact that it is as unregulated as it is, and it's gotten away with it for decades, to me, I mean, as just as a human being, but specifically as a donor conceived person, it's terrifying to really think of what can happen. And of course, you hear horror stories of what has happened to like fellow members of my community. 
um, it, it's genuinely a very, very terrifying thing. And it makes me very fearful for the rest of my life. It makes me fearful for my future children's lives. Absolutely. And, you know, knowledge is critically important, yes. knowing who the donors are in terms of what, not their names, but what, that their DNA is, is unique. And, and you want to know what that unique quality is. You want to know that if you conceive someone with sperm that's donated, that they don't have brothers and sisters that they could potentially be going to school with and, and mating with and having their own yeah. children, you know, right? So you, oh, you yeah. want to have some controls over that. I'll, I'll give you one story. Uh, my, my husband had a client, he's in, he works in the city, and uh, this client uh, was telling him that she used a donor to conceive her son. Mm -hmm. And her son had a playmate in the park every day. And the playmate uh, and the son were just so friendly and looked forward to seeing each other every day. And so the mother started to talk and the other mother said, explained that her son also was a donor, um, donor conceived child. And, and it turned out when they looked at the records, whatever the records were, they were brothers. Now, yep. you know, now yep. that's, that sounds like a great story. The problem is if there's brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters and more brothers and sisters, then you could have the problem where a sister and a brother are marrying if they don't have the information that they need to prevent that from happening. Accidental incest is a humongous worry among donor conceived people. Uh, before my husband and I got married, he took a DNA test just to make sure we were safe. Uh, right. You have to, you just don't know. Um, uh, but I'd love to get back. I'd love to get back to the Donor Conceived Persons uh, Protection Act. In your opinion, why is it so important to have an accurate medical history? Um, why is it important for anyone to have an accurate medical history? Right when we go to the. It's a great when question. We go to, yeah, when we, you know, you go to, um, uh, you know, as a woman, you're, you know, we're both women. You know, you. you they ask us all the time, you know, is there a history of breast cancer? Yep. Is there a history of ovarian cancer? Yeah. You know, is there, you know, you know, could your ancestry be, um, you know, when I first got pregnant, you know, um, uh, with my first child, you know, is there a history of Tay-Sachs in your family, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's protections that you can offer people in advance of getting breast cancer, in advance of getting ovarian cancer, in advance of uh, monitoring Tay-Sachs that you can't offer if you don't know the family history. Yeah. So it, it protects people. And why shouldn't everyone have that protection? Especially, and I always, I always bring up the fact that this is a multi-billion dollar industry profiting off of my creation. Um, and the fact is the information is available. It's there. And the fact that as a donor conceived person, I am systematically separated from that information um, is just, there's no reason for it. There's actively no reason for it. Um, right. In terms it, it of- It took the, you growing up, you know, yeah. this is relatively new, right? Yeah. So it took you growing up and having people like you, you know, um, to say, wait a second, where are my rights? Yeah. And, you know, and that's, and that's what we're just experiencing as a society now. You know, when you were five, you couldn't express that. You no. know, now that you're an adult, 
you can express it and say, I have the same right as you do, you know, to 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 information that's going to protect me. And and that's what we're what we're talking about here. Now, just to be clear, because I think a lot of people have this kind of misunderstanding um, because, you know, I'm, I'm 34 um, and you, Stephen um, passed away when he was 27 years old. I think a lot of people think like, well, that was the infertility industry back then. Do and I'd love to be explained to recipient parents that this is still a problem now. All the same things. We haven't changed the procedures. Okay. The safeguards are not in place. Not yet. We're just exploring what they should be, but yeah. there are no real safeguards in place for for uh, for families who are using donors. Not, none. And that's it's just it's terrifying. It really is because again, it's it's the and for me, what I I get very frustrated with is you, the industry is taking advantage of parents who are in a very critical state. Um, they might be going through infertility trauma. This might be potentially the only method that they're able to do family building if they are part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And they are spending thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for literally no promises, no guarantees. I mean, the gunners had to pay extra for the medical history for Stephen, which ended up being a complete lie. Right. You need to know that it's accurate. You need to know that, yeah. you know, um, expensive or not, that you're getting the right information. So, you know, and you needed to make it affordable so that other, uh, you know, everybody can have it uh, when, when they, uh, at, because it's a right, it's a right to, to know that stuff, you know, um, and it's, it's being kept from a lot of people like, like you, and, uh, and that's not, and that's just wrong. Now, one of the, I would say, concerns that I get a lot from recipient parents and is that they are concerned that this bill is going to end donor conception. It's going to skyrocket the prices of donor conception and that this will literally make this treatment inaccessible in the state of New York. What would you say well, to those recipient parents? I, we certainly don't want to do that. And if there are specifics in the bill that we can adjust, we will, I'm completely open-minded as a sponsor. You know, if there's a better way to collect the information that is more affordable for these agencies, let's talk about it. You know, it, I think we have to start from the place that the information must be there. Yeah. And then, and then uh, how we collect it and what we do um, to make sure it's available, we can we can all we can talk about it, but we um, you know we structured it as best we could, and uh, you know we need we need the kind of feedback the specificity that will make this a bill that's doable for everyone. Um, who was this bill run by? Like, uh, did medical professionals oversee it? Who 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 did you? Who did so you far, usually with? you float the ideas and then you wait for them to come to you. Okay. So that's where we're in the process of right now. You know, they're first coming back to us because we're not experts in everything. Um, of course. In fact, we're experts in nothing. You know, we we um, uh, we learn from the public. We learn from the people out in the field. So this is a result of that learning, uh, as best we know now. And then we put we float things out there, and then we wait for the people who are actually doing the work to come to us and say, wait, this part doesn't work. You can tweak it that way and it works better. 
And that's what we're in the process of right now. And I did hear that this um, from Ms. Gunner that this bill was also run by the ACLU in terms of making sure that the language was inclusive. Right. That's that. That's always good. I am very happy to hear that this was um, looked at by the ACLU because this bill specifically, um, there's nothing in this bill that is about turning away donors. It's only about informed consent. Am I right? Right. Yes, you're right. Have you faced any opposition towards this bill? Um, a, a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that we're discussing is perhaps breaking the bill up into a few parts. Um, okay. uh, because the the bill as it's structured does a lot of different things mm-hmm. and some are more easily um, accepted than others. So we're, that's a, one of the, but that's the nuances of the bill, you know, that I wouldn't say it, it relates, it, it, you know, that I'm getting into the weeds, you know, of the legislative process, right? So, yeah. um, but we're, you know, we're seriously looking at all the different aspects and then what, what we can achieve on the short term and what might take a little longer to convince people is necessary. How has the infertility industry reacted to this bill? Uh, not, not, um, they haven't, we haven't gotten a lot of feedback. You know, not really, not yet. Okay. Anything from like ASRM? Nothing yet. Okay. All right. I'll take that as a, I'll take that as a win. I will absolutely take that as a win. Um, Why do you think that this industry that profits off of the creation of human beings has remained so unregulated for so many decades? I think it's just new. New and also uh, remember you know, people who are using the the different methods, the current methods, are are people who are um, either can't conceive themselves, or they don't. You know, they want to conceive without a partner. You know, we have a lot of women who are doing that now. Is you know, um, and and so they're, you know, they're at a point in their lives where they're just they just want a baby. You know, they just want a baby. And that is a very touchy place to go as legislators. You know, it's, that, it, that there, there's a lot of a lot of emotions there. A lot of emotion. Then, and, well, since we're in that touchy place, um, I get I mean, I have a lot of recipient parents who unfortunately I, I get messaging me after the fact going, oh, my God, we didn't realize how many problems there were. We feel so horrible. Um And what I would love to do is talk to the recipient parents who are sort of like in that deep place right now, where they are so desperate for a child and the idea of regulations on this industry, I think really kind of scares them a little bit, which I totally get. And I understand. They they fear that it'll, it'll be the, we'll regulate it in a way that's going to delay their, um, their goal. What would you say to those parents as to the ones that are, are scared that you're trying to take donor conception away from them? Why would you say that? What would you tell them in terms of trying to tell them that that's not what this bill is about? So, you know, would this bill perhaps uh, limit the number of donor eggs or donor sperm? It could. It could. It could shut down places, right? It could by requiring certain things. So the only thing that you can say in exchange is that again, you wanna be careful so that you work 
and don't do that, right? And that yeah. they would have confidence that that you're trying to achieve that. And then two, that you know when they did have their baby, that their baby would have their health records, would know if there were siblings out there that you know um, could potentially uh, put them in a in a harm's way later on in their life. You know, um, in terms of incest um, and so you, that ultimately that their their a donor conceived child will be uh, healthy and happy and not have question marks for the rest of their life. So it's a balance, and that's yeah. all you can say to parents. So it's parents. it's kind of a choice of like, okay, maybe you'll get the sperm in a few days, but there's going to be way more questions on the table, whether it is, okay, then maybe you'll get the sperm in a few months, but there's a lot more comfort in knowing that you're kind of getting what you paid for and the amount that you already have to pay. But um, I have a question for you because I I didn't realize this. Is there something in this bill that relates to finding out who your siblings are? Because if there is that, that's. No, but we're looking at those options as well. You know, so we're, okay. So when we're talking about all the issues, this bill helps bring those out. This bill is primarily at this point about health, right? That's yeah. the that's the biggest issue. Um, but there are other issues. And I'm I, you know, so whether we change it into more comprehensive, whether we limit it to the health as it yeah. is now, that's, you know, but the the sibling issue is another one that other legislators have raised to me. Uh, I will say that I, I'm a very, very, uh, anyone will tell you I'm very loud about sibling caps and I'm very loud about knowing who your siblings are. Um, given how big some of these pods are and um, the amount of donor can see people I've talked to who are like, yeah, my siblings and I went to school together and we had no idea. Um, I, my donor donated for six years and he was a medical student. So I've been warned that I might have over 50 siblings. Um, and that's terrifying. Um, and so I'll just throw this out there. I am all behind you for sibling caps and knowing who siblings are. You'll have the full donor conceived community behind you with that one. So may I ask you, why do you think that this bill is getting uh, bipartisan support? Because it impacts everyone. You know, this is, there's some bills that just impact everyone. And, uh, and this is one of those. Yeah. So. It's pretty. It, and it's, again, as you said, emotional, it's personal, you know, so yeah. we all have, families and constituents who are uh, using this. It's its the new, it's its out there. You know, it's not a small amount of people anymore. It's, it's a lot of people and we all are impacted by it. And that's why you're seeing both. Absolutely. Now, as citizens, what do we need to do to get the regulations that we need from this industry? What, what can Just, actively we do? Um make your voices heard, you know, write letters to your um, state legislators, phone calls, emails, you know, whatever suits you and let them know that there are, um, that there's legislation out there that they want. And if people think it doesn't help, but it does. It helps for other legislators to know that, you know, that there's a bill out there that they should be supporting. And it, it helps move the bills. Absolutely. Right now, where is the bill? So the bill is still in committee because we're still looking at those amendments. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, as soon as we finish with the amendments, then we're going to 
it would have to move through the committee process onto the floor for a vote. If uh, I have any listeners who are listening to this bill going, I really want to show support for this bill, what do they need to do to do that? Uh, to write to the, again, write an email to the legislator saying that they would love for there to be a vote on the floor on this bill. And that'll, that'll help move the bill. And if I have somebody from a different state um, who's listening to this bill and going, oh my God, I really wish my state had that as well. What they should, should write they... to their legislators. <laughs> and yeah, so that's what they need to do is write to their yeah. legislature saying, I want yeah. this bill it, for my state. It's a state regulated issue. So you can, it's best to write to the state level legislator wherever they live. Amazing. All right. Well, Assemblywoman, I do not want to take up more of your time. Um, if there's any final thoughts about this bill that you really feel is important for my listeners to, to have, I'm more than happy to listen. Um, or do you have any final thoughts on this bill that you'd like people to know? So, you know, before this um, interview, I didn't know that you were a donor conceived. And I just want to say thank you uh, to you, uh, oh, for, well, you. Uh, for your advocacy and uh, for helping others. Uh, through what is a very emotional, difficult time in their lives. So it's um, critically important that we get some of these regulations in yeah. place and, uh, and you're helping a lot of families. And I just want to thank you. It's um, honestly, uh, I feel like I've got the easy job. I feel like people like uh, the Gunners are the ones who they, they are the ones who need the gold stars. Um, as I tell anybody, everybody, Laura Gunner lost her son in such a horrific way. And her immediate thought was, I need to go call his siblings and make sure that they understand what his diagnosis was. And once upon learning about the situation, her immediate thought was, I need to help out all donor conceived people. This woman, these parents deserve she immediately became a mom to all donor conceived people. So I will do anything I can to support her because she is just, she's being amazing. Nope, you're right. We're all in the same place. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. This is, as you've said, this is basic. This is easy. Everyone deserves this information. Well, Bye. thank you so much. I appreciate your time and have a lovely no day. You too. Thank you again to the Senator and Assemblywoman for joining us on Insemination. Now, those interviews were recorded on May 16th, 2023. Right now, I am filming this on the 17th, the day afterwards. And I just got news that the bill passed the Senate Health Committee unanimously. So, like them outside, it is time to get loud. In the caption below, we tell you exactly how you can find your legislature so you know who to contact when asking for the Donor Conceived Persons Protection Act. Let's make our voices heard and let's get this passed. We need a turkey baster some regulations back into the infertility industry.